Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. Hello, my friends. It's Matt Morgan. Welcome back to a brand new podcast and a brand new series that we're going to start. I have been gone for the last few months, traveling around the country, enjoying the summer with my family. My daughter's back in school. We're back in action, which means I'm back in the saddle with doing podcasts. And throughout this summer, really for the last couple of years, I've had some really great conversations with my clients because my engaged couples that I work with, my married couples, one of the things that we talk through is the topic of spirituality. And when we talk about about this topic for a lot of my couples are like, uh, I feel like spiritually anemic. Like this is not a topic we even ever discuss or even process. So is it even important? Do I even process it? And yet when we get into it and as they watch my videos online and they be able to see like the questions that I ask, all of a sudden there evokes some curiosity. But I think before we can be curious, we need to have a framework of being able to understand what to even be curious about and the engine of curiosity are questions. And so one of the things that my clients have continually said is hey, could you give us a historical and scientific approach to, you know, at least just starting with the major religions? And so I said, yeah, let's do that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to create a historical and scientific approach, meaning I'm just helping you have a framework around what the world religions even say so that you can be informed and make your own decisions. So this is not about converting anyone. Okay. Those of you who have, you know, church PTSD or anything like that, nobody wants to be converted, but everyone wants their life to change change. And this is such a powerful conversation. And so when I talk about major religions, you guys, there's tons of religions, right? There's Taoism and Confucianism. There's the ancient religion. People think that the very first one was Zoroastrianism. And all of these have, you know, a creation story. The Epic of Gilgamesh has that, but we're not going to talk about those specific ones. We're going to talk about the major ones, the five biggest ones, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All of these have a foundation of how they started and what they believe. And I want to give you kind of a world religions 101 perspective through that historical and scientific lens. But as we do, I want to begin with the cosmos because all religions look at our universe. And from our universe, we all have these questions like, how did we get here? What is the meaning and purpose of life? What happens when we die? Because science has shown that 100% of all people die. Now that's an alarming statistic, okay? And so all of these religions have answers to some of those really tiny questions. <laughs> it's called epistemology. How do we know what we know? And so we are today going to start this series by starting with looking through our telescope and looking at the universe around it. You know, several religions believe in a divine being, a first cause that sets in motion the cosmos. The ancient enlightened period, you know, would say this is the cosmological argument for the existence of God. God says, let there be light. And suddenly there was light and the universe comes into existence. And so other people are like, no, it's actually not a first cause. It's an infinite structure of the universe always being that way, regardless of where you are. This is going to be such a fun process of looking through the scientific perspective of the universe and how it connects to our identity 
who we are as people and where we're going. All right. Now, friends, the universe as we get going is massive. It's so massive that scientists call it the quote unquote known universe, which really translates into we haven't built a big enough telescope to know just how big our universe is. Okay. Now, every time we do build a bigger telescope, we are wowed once again with just how massive this universe is. And scientists are stumped. There's one camp of scientists that say, hey, we believe there must be life in the universe outside of just us, outside of our own habitat. Because of this, we are so infinitesimally small. We are so insignificant in comparison to actual the universe. And another group of people say, no, 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 no. Because of that, because of how small we are, it actually shows the canvas that the creator is working on so that we can glorify that creator. Either way, we are small. Our home here is called Earth, which is so small compared to the universe because, you know, when you look at the universe, it's amazing because we use this thing called a light year to be able to get around. Now, let's talk about light for a second. All right. Light goes at 186,000 miles a second. Okay. Now that's the speed of light. If you were paying attention in middle school, I wasn't, I had to look that up. <laughs> the earth circumference is 24,901 miles around, which means a single beam of light can circle the globe seven times in a second, you guys. All right. And you thought you drove fast to work this morning. That is cruising. Now we live in a subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. Don't know if you knew that, but that's where we live. And what we use, scientists use in our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy, we use what's called a light year to get around. Now, what's a light year? It's how fast light travels in a single year. So we know that light travels at 186,000 miles a second, right? So if light travels at 186,000 miles a second, then light travels in one year 5.88 trillion miles in a year. Okay, that's the measurement we're using in our little subdivision. Now, we have just one subdivision here that we're talking about, which is the Milky Way galaxy, you guys, but there are billions of other known galaxies. And within our one galaxy, there are billions of stars, hundreds of billions of stars. Okay, not millions, hundreds of billions in our subdivision. Now, I know those of us who live in Denver, Colorado, like I do, you look up at the sky in the city and you're like, I see five stars. You know, oh, no, four. That was a plane. <laughs> it's hard to see. But when you go out to the mountains, oh my gosh, don't you just marvel when you look at how many stars are just in our one galaxy in the known universe, right? If you were to actually Google when you're done running or driving and you actually Google, and I'm going to have you Google several images because this is so fun. I want you to be able to see what I'm talking about. And you Google the Milky Way galaxy and you zoom into those star forming regions. It is awe-inspiring. In fact, there was one particular picture that a man named Dr. David Block said, if you were to quote, count the billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, it would take you 2,500 years to count just in our subdivision alone. <laughs> that's how big the universe is. And that's just our one single, you know, galaxy here. And so it is huge. Now, 
Here's how huge. Google this. Google the Milky Way galaxy. And you're going to see as you comb through, they took thousands of photographs to composite this one image. It looks like this barred spiral nucleus, like a tornado happening. And when you do this, you'll see that our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So if you want to go to your neighbors in a different subdivision, that's how far you need to go. And boom, you're at their house. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing because when I first looked at this, I was thinking like, oh, okay, so where's Earth? Like, are we like in the middle and really big? And that so speaks to my Western hubris mindset, thinking that the world revolves around me, the universe revolves around me. And yet you realize when you actually take a picture and you say Earth in comparison to the Milky Way galaxy, Google that. And here's what you're going to find. They're going to have a picture and they're going to point an arrow about two thirds, not the center, but two thirds out from this barred spiral nucleus called the Milky Way galaxy. And you're going to go, wait, I don't even see us. That's right. Within our one subdivision, and there are billions of subdivisions, other galaxies, we don't even see you. We don't even see us. I mean, that's how small we are. And so to put this into perspective, scientists say that our entire solar system in the Milky Way galaxy is equivalent to the size of a quarter in the area of the entire North American continent. So if the Milky Way galaxy is the North American continent, then our solar system is equivalent to the size of a quarter in that North American continent. Okay, translation, we're not that consequential in our subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. Are you with me? Now, somewhere in this galaxy is a star, and it's not the biggest or the baddest or the brightest, but it's just a star in the midst of billions of stars, and we call it the sun. And around it orbit these balls. <laughs> one of which is called Earth. And if you Google Earth, which of course you have, all of us have, that's our home, right? And what's amazing is the very first picture we have is taken from Apollo 17. And there's this beautiful picture, if you Google from Apollo 17, the picture of Earth, you'll see that somewhere around, you watch this in sometime, like around Apollo 11, 1969, the day that we became smart enough to be able to get off the planet for the first time. Some of you are around for that time, okay? Let's give it up for old people. <laughs> now, the rest of us who are younger than that, you might be thinking, yeah, I've seen Earth, okay? But when you look at the picture that NASA provided, it is still stunning. That picture shows great on shot of South America, parts of Central America, and even our own continent with clouds wisping and swirling around. And you just zoom in for a little bit and you think like, oh my gosh, like we are insignificant. And yet the question is, are we significant insignificance? Like, is there a creator that knows us and sees us? That's the big question that so many religions are trying to process given how small we are. I love this quote by Neil Armstrong, the first man who walked in the moon. He said, quote, I remember on the way home from Apollo 11, it suddenly struck me that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was earth. And I put my thumb out and I shut one eye and my thumb blotted out planet earth. Now listen to his conclusion. He said, but I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. I mean, how amazing is that in perspective? In 1977, we launched a spacecraft called the Voyager to take pictures of our solar system. And 13 years later, that's right, that's how long it took. Valentine's Day, 1990 is when it came back. Scientists from JPL sent a message to Voyager telling it to take a panoramic snapshot of all the planets that it visited and when it comes back. And by now, the Voyager, you guys, has gone 3.7 billion miles away from Earth, and it's traveling 40,000 miles an hour away from the sun. Okay, so obviously it's so enormous it can't take one picture, so it has to take 60 images to capture. 
and it starts sending these images back to Earth, right? Each image is 640,000 pixels in every single image. One image, 640,000 pixels. Okay, so what's a pixel? A pixel is that tiny dot that makes up a photograph, all right? And since it's 3.7 billion miles away, these pixels are taking five and a half hours each to get back to Earth. 60 images, 640,000 pixels per image, and each pixel taking five and a half hours to get back to Earth, and you thought you had dial-up problems at your house. <laughs> Guys, it takes months for these images to get back to Earth, and when it finally comes together as a composited image together, we receive this famous image that I want you to Google when you get a chance called the pale blue dot. And when you do and you Google this, you're going to think, um, excuse me, did I miss something? I mean, those are the pictures I throw away at Walmart, right? You're thinking like, that's the thing I had my thumb over the lens and that one's no good, right? Can I get my money back, please? I mean, this image is no good, right? That's what you're going to see. Now, you might be asking like, when you look at this, there are these green and pink and yellow bands in the image. And those bands are actually rays of sunlight reflecting off of the Voyager. And what's so powerful is that, again, this is almost 4 billion miles away from the sun and yet we still see this thing in view. And it just so happened that suspended in one of those sunbeams is a tiny little speck. And I want you to Google it. You are here. <laughs> Google you are here in relation to the pale blue dot. And you're going to see this image, this little tiny speck. That is Earth. There's one famous astronomer named Carl Sagan, and he pointed out, quote, that everyone who has ever lived lived on that pale blue dot to which he described on earth i love this a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam our life is but a blip a vapor in the wind an infinitesimal little life now put some of you are like matt you're making me feel so small i'm not trying to make you feel small i'm trying to help you realize you are small and yet are you significant in significance are you special in the eyes of a creator is there a meaning and purpose like we believe that within our bones so many of us and so this is kind of the foundation to where these religions start to answer these questions of how we got here where we're going and what the meaning and purpose of it all is. But we're not done yet. We're having fun. So let's keep going. I want to take you on a little journey. 93 million miles away from our tiny blue dot to our famous star called the sun. I want you to Google the sun. All right. Now, living in God's country here in Colorado, we get to see this beautiful thing over 300 days a year. Come on. <laughs> and this sun is not just this cute little circle that we draw on with smiley faces. Okay. When we're kids, the sun, you guys, is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It is raging with intensity. Intensity. It's like a billion nuclear bombs going off every single second. And it's so strong that it sends light out, remember, at 186,000 miles a second. And it takes the sun eight minutes to travel 93 million miles from the sun to your skin. Isn't that amazing? The sun, you guys, is 100 times the diameter of the earth. Okay, now I want you to Google that. I want you to Google the sun in comparison to the earth. And I want you to look at this image. And when you go to bed tonight, if you believe in God, you can thank God that you are 93 million miles away from the sun. Because if you were one degree closer to the sun, we would all burn to death instantly. And yet, if we were one degree further away from the sun, we would all freeze to death instantly. So we are in this perfect habitat 
for life. And guys, this is just one star in the subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy of hundreds of billions of other subdivisions and other galaxies in the known universe. Okay. Now I want to take you on another journey. All right. Now remember light travels 5.88 trillion miles in a year. So let's go out 440 light years out. And I want you to Google the word Pleiades, all right? P-L-E-I-A-D-E-S, Pleiades. And you are going to see this beautiful system. In the ancient Jewish text, there was a book called Job, chapter 38, verse 21. God is talking to Job, and he asked Job, Job, can you hold Pleiades in your hand? To which Job goes, uh, no. And God's like, well, there you go, all right? Pleiades is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, this is how big this is. And then there's another 8,000 light years out. You can Google Stardust Ring. You guys, this looks like the eye of Mordor. Some people used to sing this song called God is Watching Us. Oh my gosh, it looks like an eye <laughs> looking at you. And then there's another one, 31 million light years out. It's the darling of astronomy called the Whirlpool Galaxy. And if you Google Whirlpool Galaxy, you can see why it's the darling of astronomy. Scientists believe that there are between 300 and 500 billion stars that make up that galaxy. And it's called the Whirlpool Galaxy because it looks like it'll just suck you in. And for a long time, if you look at the image, there was this other yellow blob next to it. And they, we used to think that like this galaxy was sucking in that blob. And now scientists believe that's a whole other galaxy. I mean, this is how incredible our known universe is. And you know what's also incredible? If you move away from your telescope and you move to a microscope and you look within our own DNA strands, it is incredible. Okay, there are 7 billion human bodies in the world today. All right. And scientists believe that in history past, there's somewhere between 80 to 125 billion humans that have ever lived on this earth. And all of us share this thing called DNA. And the tips of our DNA strands are called telomeres. And scientists show that when you have stress, you actually see these telomeres begin to fray because of aging and because of stress. The more stress you have, the faster you die. The top two human stressors that research shows is death of a loved one, number one, divorce, number two, which let's be honest, is death of a loved one who's still alive. Those are the top two human stressors. And so relationships are absolutely crucial. And when these relationships begin to fray, so too do our telomeres, and we actually begin to die faster. Scientists are looking at blue zones right now, and they're seeing that blue zones are environments where people are living for over 100 years. And they're seeing that it's not just about nutrition, it's about the relationships. What is it? Science shows that when these relationships are repaired, that the tips of our DNA chromosomes called telomeres are also being repaired simultaneously so that you live longer. Does that speak to the nature of a divine being? What a divine being is like? How we fit into this? That all of us are made and wired to be in relationship. And Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity have answers to those questions that we are going to explore in the coming weeks. But I wanted to start with just geeking out a little bit of getting us curious and marveling at how potentially significant insignificance we really are. So that's week one and cheers for now. And we will start next time with the topic of Hinduism. We'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.